If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke 15. I sound a lot louder now. I forgot to turn my mic on, Terry. First service, I came up and um, did the same thing, didn't turn my mic on. But Terry just kind of rode with it. Don was trying to stop me, and Don was in the back doing jumping jacks, going, Hey, turn your mic on. And I was like, man, I just got to go with it. (laughs) So um, anyway, so thank you all. Sorry, I just shocked everybody. Somebody was like, all right, Luke 15 is where we're going to be going back. So last week, we uh, kicked off this uh, two-week series about the prodigal father. Last week we talked about the younger brother, the one who, um, despite his sin, received much grace. Uh, Despite his choices, received the lavish, over-the-top prodigal love of God. And today we're going to be talking about this other brother, uh, the older brother. And we're going to talk about his perspective of what he sees the father as. Because here's what we pointed out last week. Both of these sons received the father's grace. Both of these sons received the Father's grace. One of them stayed home, the other one left home and ran away. But both respond in different manners. And in this way, what we're going to learn is that there's a Father who desires to give grace to humble and repentant sinners, while at the same time, there's also grace for those who do all things right, who follow all the rules, who think that they're moral and good standing people. My main point, all I want to do is just build off this point is this. Rely on the prodigal father's extravagant grace. Rely on the prodigal father's extravagant grace, not your works. Rely on his grace alone. Last week, we talked about receiving his grace. Today, I want to tell you to rely on his grace. We read Luke 15. We're going to start in verse 1, go down to verse 3, and then we're going to jump over to verse 25. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Now jump over to verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he is found. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that today we will be encouraged to do nothing more but to rely on the prodigal father's extravagant grace. That we'll rely upon our father alone, rely upon the work of Jesus alone, not upon any standard our position that we put ourselves in, or anything that we do. But Father, let us rely solely on your grace. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I had to tell you which brother I identify with in this parable, it would have to be the older brother. Now, I've never went through a season in my life where I would call myself a prodigal in the sense of I left and I did all these crazy things and then came back to Jesus. Uh, Some of us may have that story. 
Uh, my story is, is that I grew up in a very Christian household. Very Christian household. Um, there's never been a moment in my life where I don't really know the name of Jesus. There's only a few seasons in my life where I can ever remember not going to church. And that's only like one Sunday here or there. Um, to tell you kind of the environment I was raised in, I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone the other day. And um, I walked in to my son's room and I laid him down on his little play mat. And I said, Alexa, play VeggieTales. That's the Christian environment that I grew up in. My friend said, that's the most Christian dad I've ever heard. And I said, you're exactly right, because this is what my son listens to. Because that's the environment I grew up in. I grew up in this environment that was very Christianized. So at nine years old, when I had my salvation experience, my, my bedtime conversion, um, I was in bed, laying in bed, and I just remember saying, I need Jesus. I just remember saying, I, I'm a sinner. And my mom praying with me and walking me through those things. But what happened immediately thereafter was kind of this development over time. Um, what happened was I started falling into this trap of legalism and of being like a Pharisee. And I would try to do all the right things and not do certain things. So I would go to church. I would go to Bible drill. I would be there on Wednesday nights. I would go to do my service project every now and then. And I would try not to cuss. I wouldn't drink. I wouldn't do drugs. I would do those things. I wouldn't do that. I said I would do those things. I wouldn't do those things. And what happens is, is that the older I got, and I look back, what I realized was, was that I had slowly placed my trust in Tyler instead of Jesus. I thought that my own moral good efforts, I thought that my efforts to be the best kid that I could be was going to merit the Father's favor. And I thought that God owed me something. I thought that God owed me blessing. I thought that God owed me these things because I was a good kid. I wasn't like them. Now you may be wondering, who is them? Well, that's the kids who didn't go to church. That's the kids who cussed and drank and partied and did all those things. I, didn't, I wasn't like them. I was the goody-two-shoes church kid. But the problem was, was I wasn't fully trusting in Jesus. Now, when I was 17, the Lord caught me and saved me. And ever since really 17, when I truly tasted and saw that the Lord was good, and I trusted in Him fully, what happened in that moment was, was I learned some important life lessons about the Christian faith. The first one would be this, that even the best of behavior and the best of intentions can be sinful. Even the best of behavior, even the best of intentions can be absolutely sinful. Also learn this, even the best of behavior can separate you from the Father. Even doing the right thing and following all the rules can separate you from the Father. And then I also learned that my us versus them attitude needed a change. It needed to change to an us for them attitude. You see, brothers and sisters, we live in a very divided culture. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. We live in a very divided culture racially politically, socioeconomically. All of these areas are divided, but until we quit classifying it as us versus them, we will not reach a lost world. And us versus them mentality is an older brother mentality. 
The older brother looked at his younger brother and said, he doesn't deserve this. An us versus them attitude says, they don't deserve this. They're too far gone. But when we have an us for them attitude, which is the attitude of Jesus, that he is for us and we are for them, that is when we will see life change happen. That's where the gospel starts to do its work. These two brothers in this parable are more alike than the older brother would probably like to admit. R. Kent Hughes um, wrote this commentary on the book of Luke, and he says that while the younger brother was sinning out of passion, the older brother was sinning out of his attitude. While he was sinning out of passion, he was, uh, the older brother was sinning, sinning out of his attitude. And this older brother had this self-righteous, this self-centered attitude that separated him from the father. That in fact, even while he was on the father's property, he was further away than the younger brother ever was. Even though he was on the property, he was still further away than the younger brother ever was. The difference is, is true repentance. That's what separates them. The younger brother fully received and relied upon the father. The older brother didn't. And that's why, brothers and sisters, when we rely on our own efforts, our own goodness, we separate ourselves from the father's extravagant grace. And that's why we must rely on the prodigal father's extravagant grace alone, not anything we can do. That is our call this morning. Rely on the prodigal father's grace alone, not anything we can do. Now, I read verse 1 through 3 again because we need to tackle this. This is important to the entire span of Luke 15, the entire parable. Who was this parable to? Who was Jesus speaking to? Who was the audience? Well, I told you all last week when I imagined the audience, I kind of imagined these people with like their eyes swelled up, tears running down their face, thinking, man, that's such a good story. And it is a good story. It's a great parable. But that's not who the audience, primary audience is. They're there. The primary audience is the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the time. They're also Jesus' biggest opponents in all four Gospels. They're constantly trying to get in his way, constantly trying to stop him from his mission, constantly trying to uh, stump him, trying to get him to say the wrong answer. But when these Pharisees, one of their jobs was to take care of God's people. But they weren't doing their job. They were failing miserably at this job. And what ends up happening here is that we read in Ezekiel, in the book of Ezekiel, that there's this prophecy made that since the shepherds weren't taking care of the sheep and weren't taking care of the people, that God was going to send a better shepherd. That he was going to send a David, is what Ezekiel says, going to send a David to the people. Now, he didn't send David back from the dead, he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus. And Jesus is telling this parable to literally flip the status quo on its head, showing that humble and repentant sinners are the ones who receive the grace, not just those who are morally good religious people. He's showing us in this parable that the grace of Jesus is for all people, even for the Pharisee. Even for the ones who think that they have it all together. Even for the ones who think that they follow all the rules. Each of these brothers are going to receive the extravagant love of Jesus. And they're going to respond differently. So let's get to it. First point I want to point out is this. Rely on his grace when the lost become found. Rely on his grace when the lost become found. Now the older brother had been working all day out in the fields. 
Um, if you can't, you can't look at me by knowing this, I grew up on a farm. Um, that's what we did. We worked in fields a lot. Uh, most of the time it was planting um, green fields for deer. And that was not my thing either. But I know this about working in the fields. It's a lot of work. You sweat a lot. You cut your hands open. You bleed. You may even cry a little bit. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears going on in the fields. So as this older brother is out there working, he gets closer to the house to come rest. He gets closer to the house to come sleep, go down for the day, and he hears music from the distance. And he's like, oh, that, that's weird. I've never heard music standing in this place. And as he gets closer, he realizes, well, that music's coming from our property. And as he gets closer, he realizes, well, this music's coming from my home. Then he gets closer and he looks inside the window and he sees people dancing. And there's a party going on at the house. Now, I may be the only one in this room, but I've, I've, I've not been invited to things. And I've walked into things that I wasn't invited to and you feel left out. This brother walks up and he's like, okay, what did I miss? What is going on here? So he calls up one of the servants and he says this, verse 25, and he called them, 26, I'm sorry. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. So he calls up one of the servants and says, hey, there's a party. I didn't get the agenda. I didn't get the schedule. I didn't get the invitation in the mail. What's going on? And this younger brother, this servant says this. I love this. Verse 27. And he said to him, your brother has come home. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now, whenever the older brother heard that the fattened calf had been killed, what that meant was that there was a guest of honor at the house. There was somebody who meant a lot to the father. And when the fattened calf was killed, the entire town was invited. This wasn't just a small family get-together. This was essentially a community block party. The entire town came to celebrate the younger brother coming home. And the Pharisees right here probably would have been expecting the older brother to be like, Oh, yes, my brother's home. He's home. And then he goes in and starts dancing and enjoying the party. But is that what happens? No. That is not what happens. We read in verse 28, He was angry. And refused to go in. Now why was his brother angry? What made him. Like the Greek word says. It's like bullying in anger. He was bullying in anger. He was just, just fed up to with anger. Up to here. It was because he believed. Deep in his heart. That the younger brother didn't deserve this. This brother had squandered the property. He had sinned greatly against the father. And you know what? The older brother, he didn't. This older brother did everything right in his sight. This older brother followed all the rules. This older brother deserved to have a say in this. You don't kill the fattened calf for a sinner. That's what the older brother would say. We learn about the older brother's heart right here is that his heart doesn't rejoice with the father. It actually rejects the father. His heart does not rejoice with the father. It actually rejects the father. Now... The main point was rely on the Father's grace and rejoice when the lost become found. And that sounds pretty obvious to us. That sounds pretty obvious to us. We should rejoice when the lost became found. But many of us in this room, I'm just going to be honest with you, have an older brother mindset. 
many of us in this room have an older brother mindset. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, because many of us feel that since we've been a Christian forever, for as long as we can, we can remember, for as long as we've been born, essentially, and maybe even some of us who are converted in our teens and now in our older years of life, we feel like God owes us something. We feel like God owes us something. I was talking to a uh, church member of a um, local church here in town that was dying. And they were about to call a younger pastor. And this church member seriously did this. He went to the search committee and he said, you're not going to hire this man and I have a say-so because I'm the highest giver in this church. And he was bragging about it. That's an older brother mindset. And even though he was vocal about it, brothers and sisters, a lot of us may be like that. We just don't like to come out as vocal. We just don't want to come out and own that. We feel like God owes us something because we do all the right things. We feel that God should bless us because we obey all the rules. And what that does is it doesn't make Jesus the Savior and Lord. It makes fill in the blank Savior and Lord. It makes you the Savior and Lord. It makes me the Savior and Lord. This self-centeredness reigns supreme over us. This self-centeredness makes us our God. And as I mentioned earlier, this is a very us versus them mentality. This is older brother versus younger brother. But this older brother's responsibility would be to go out and find his younger brother when his younger brother left. But this older brother let him go. And this older brother was angry that his son, had, that the brother had returned. He would even go on to say, this son of yours has returned. He was angry about it. I want you to think about the most hardened sinner that you know. The person that you think is too far gone from the grace of God. How would you react if they walked into these doors right now? What about your biggest political opponent? What would you do if they wanted to know more about Jesus? What about the person who looks different than you, acts different than you, and is absolutely lost, and they want to hear the gospel? How are you going to react? That will say a lot about the older brother mindset that is within us, that can creep up within us. We see that this older brother mindset is really pharisaical. It comes from the Pharisees. These Pharisees were the ones rejecting sinners, focusing upon their own righteousness, their own works, their own goodness. Let us not be like the Pharisees, brothers and sisters. Let us be like Jesus. Let us be like the one who came to seek and save the lost. Let us be like him, as we'll talk about in just a minute, the true older brother. Secondly, I want to tell you all to do this from the word. Rely on the Father, not on your own works. Rely on the Father, not on your own works. Verse 28, once again, but he was angry. And refused to go in, and his father came out and entreated him. So this brother could have went to somewhere private and sulked. He could have went somewhere and not made a big public scene. But he went in such a way that the father knew he was outside. The father knew he was outside. The younger brother, the older brother here, is trying to draw attention to himself to do an emotional play on the father. He's trying to emotionally play the father here. And this father comes out and entreats him. 
Now that word entreat means to encourage anxiously to do something. Like this week I'm going to entreat middle school boys to go to bed and take a shower. I'm going to entreat them, take a shower please, go to bed please. Don't stay up all night, you're going to be miserable. But this father, what we realize about him, this prodigal father, he comes out to the younger brother from his property and he also goes out to the older brother. He doesn't leave the older brother out there. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. This is good. Even the most moral, good, religious people need the initiating grace of God. Even the most hardened sinner needs the initiating grace of God. Even the best person you know needs the initiating grace of God. The father initiates this. And that this older brother, what he's going to have to learn is he has to radically rely on the prodigal father's grace. Now, verse 29 Listen to what the older brother says to his father. But he answered his father, look. Now, if I looked at my daddy and said, look, I'd be probably picking myself up off the floor. You don't do that. Disrespecting his father right off the bat. Look, these many years I have served you. And yet, I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. So this brother just revealed that his heart was not in sync with the father's heart. Instead of rejoicing, he was remorsing that the sinner had came home. Instead of saying, listen, father, I have served you. I'm ready to go into the party with you. No, he says, listen, I have served, or what the Greek word says, slaved for you. His entire view of the father changes. Instead of viewing the father as a gracious father, he now witnesses him as a slave master. As a stern slave master. I have slaved for you, father. I have worked in the fields for you. I never left you. And I love how he says this. I've never disobeyed you. Now, my son is six months old, and he's adorable. Not going to lie. I love him to death. Thank you. But I'll tell you all this. That little adorable face is one day going to disobey me. He will. It's going to be a few months from now. He's going to be going for a plug. I'm like, don't touch that plug, and he's going to keep going for that plug. Because it's inside our nature, Right? We're disobedient. We're sinful. We see it from birth. It happens. But this brother right here says, I have never disobeyed you. All right, everybody that's parents in this room, you know this. He disobeyed him. But what he's doing here is he is comparing himself to this sinful brother of his. He's comparing himself to this sinful brother of his. This us versus them mentality. Because what we like to do is say, Man, I don't have it all together, but man, she's really bad. Man, I don't have it all together, but man, you should see what he does on the weekends. He was building himself up by tearing his brother down. He was building himself up by tearing his brother down. And not only that, he doesn't even call, but this brother of mine, when he came, he says, but this son of yours. You hear the snarkiness? The arrogance in that statement. But this son of yours when he came. 
He also does this, and I, I told the first service this, my brother is just known for this in my family. Me, I would dive in front of a bus for my brother. All right, like my mom would get onto Mason, and I'd be like, Mom, I did it too. I would be the noble one. Now, my brother would get in trouble, or I would get in trouble, and that dude would just in front of the bus and let the bus run over me and back up over me. And if he was in here, he'd be laughing and shaking his head right now. He wouldn't disagree. This older brother immediately throws his little brother in the bus. Listen to what he says. He calls out his brother's sin. Verse 30. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. I, didn't, I hadn't been doing that, Dad. I've been here working and slaving for you. I haven't done that. But you killed the fattened calf for him? You didn't even give me a goat. Now, why did he want the goat? Because he was so convinced of his own goodness that he thought that he should have a party thrown for him to celebrate himself. Because the entire town was invited. The entire town was at his father's property. The older brother says, I just want a goat to celebrate and you won't even give me that to celebrate my friends. Now, you may be wondering what happened here. Like, why this attitude? Because this brother was so convinced that his position as the older brother was not relied upon the father's grace, but that it was dependent upon his performance. It was dependent on what he did. It was dependent on how hard he worked and slaved for the father. He thought that his works earned the father's grace. And what this does is that it reveals that he truly only cared about his position himself. It's a sin of passion versus a sin of attitude. The old younger brother was sinning out of passion. The older brother was sinning out of attitude. And let me tell you all something. This, is, this attitude is so deadly. It draws even the most soft-hearted sinner away. Because when people say, look at me, look at me, look at me, we don't want that. And the reason why is because that's not what Jesus did. We do not want that in the church. But here's the most terrifying thing. We can actually become like this very, very easily. We can become just like this older brother so easily if we don't watch ourselves and check ourselves compared to Jesus. When we check ourselves and compare ourselves with our brothers and sisters around us or even those outside, that's where it starts creeping in. Now, you may be asking, how, how did he become this way, or even this, how can I become this way, or maybe even this, how did I become this way? Well, this is how. We can easily become this way because we can forget how we were like before the Father saved us. We can forget how we were like before the Father saved us. One of my favorite things about Thomas when he came was he came to hear me speak on a Wednesday night um, and he come back there and he had a sheet of paper and I saw him back there like just writing feverishly and I was like man that's not good when your pastor's like writing feverishly during one of your sermons and so a couple days later he said hey I want to sit down and talk to you about your sermon and one of the things that he corrected me and encouraged me to think about was the language that I used and something I've never thought about he thinks about the words that he says and the way that we 
put sermon series out there and all of those things because we have to think with unbelievers in mind. We have to think with the unbeliever in mind. And what I had fallen into, admittedly, and still fall into, is that I speak Christianese. Now, you may be wondering what Christianese is. That's that super Christian language that so many of us will speak that outsiders don't understand. Like one of my favorites, there's power in the blood. If you had never heard of Jesus' name and you heard the church singing there's power in the blood, that's kind of creepy, right? We don't think about those things. We love to say the word blessed. But what does that mean? Well, we know what it means, but outsiders may not know what it means. What I got corrected for was using big seminary words because I'm a seminary student who likes to use those big words. Sanctification, theology, glorification. And while I love those words, the outsider may not know what that is. And what I'm showing you is this, is that so many times we can grow so familiar with the Father that we forget how the Father really is. And what happens in those moments is that we become more focused on being good people as long as we avoid the sins of passion. Right? As long as we don't do like what the younger brothers on the outside are doing, we're good. But we ignore the sins of attitude, the pride, the jealousy, the gossip. And what we call those are personal struggles, our flaws, my personal battle. It's just something I'm going through right now. Or, even worse, it's who I am. We don't even call our sin, sin anymore at this point. We don't even confess our sin to one another because we don't even see the sin inside of us. The older brother mindset is starting to consume us. And what happens is is that we become so accustomed with the Father that we grow dull to Him in His prodigal grace. And we start to think that God owes us something because we're good. Brothers and sisters, God owes you nothing. He owes you absolutely nothing, but he gave us Jesus as a gift. He gave us Jesus as a gift. If you read in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it even says that the faith that we are given is a gift from him. We did nothing to earn Jesus. Absolutely nothing to earn him, but we walk around like we own it. Now, this is why I want to point out this. There's the biggest similarity between the older and the younger brother. You want to hear it? This is good. They both didn't want the father. They wanted his things. That's the biggest similarity. The younger brother over here, he wanted the father's things to go squander them. The older brother wanted the father's things so that he could be proud. So he could lift himself up. Or as I've learned very through my own sin life, exalt Tyler. That's what he wanted. He wanted to exalt himself. They only wanted the father's thing. They didn't want the father. They only wanted his things. I heard a pastor say this last night. It's just too good not to share. Of course, between the choice of heaven and hell, you will choose heaven. But why do you continue to pick earth over heaven? Given the choice between heaven and hell, that's a simple choice. Yes, we want heaven. But why do we continue to pick earth over heaven? The, old, the younger brother chose earth in his possessions and in his wildness. The older brother had this worldliness that was shrouded in what looked like faithfulness. He looked like he had it all together, but he didn't. This should absolutely just make us self-reflect on ourselves and go, what am I doing to do these things? Now, what I want to encourage every one of you to do 
is to not desire the Father's things more than the Father. Going to heaven is great, but the Father is better. Salvation is great only when it's fully reliant upon the Father's grace. If it's reliant upon anything you can do, that's not salvation. That's lostness. That's not salvation, that's lostness. We should desire the Father more so over the Father's things for us. Now listen to the Father's response here. This is the third point. The Father's response. Verse uh, 31. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. The grace in the Father's voice right here. The, the, The prodigal grace. This son just looked at him and said, Look at me. Look at me. This son of yours, he's a sinner. This son of yours had squandered everything. This son of yours has done everything wrong and you've given him everything. Instead of the father kicking him out, he looks at him and he says, Son, you have always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. The older brother doesn't lose his sonship just as much as the younger brother doesn't lose his sonship. That grace is there for the sinner that is wild and unrepentant, but it's also for the unrepentant good old boy. It's also there for the unrepentant rule follower. It's there for both of them. Now this father continues, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. He actually repeats what he did in verse 24. It's fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is now found. Now, most of the time when a story is told, there's a problem presented. And then there's a work on the solution. And then it ends with a conclusion where there's a solution to be sought. Correct? That's how a story's told. If you look at the three parables in Luke chapter 15, you see the parable of the lost sheep. One sheep goes away, shepherd leaves the 99, goes and finds lost sheep, brings him home. Problem, solution. You look at the parable of the lost coin. Woman has 10 coins, loses one, lights a lamp, looks all around the house, finds the coin, celebrates. Problem, solution. This parable is different. It's different because this is an invitation to the Pharisees to repent of their older brother mindset, of their simpleness, of their simple hearts, to turn to Jesus. This is an opportunity and an invitation to repent, to turn to Jesus. Because when this this one ends, it just says, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead, and is alive, he was lost and is found. We don't get to see the older brother's response. Because Jesus is asking the older brothers that are surrounding him, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. To see their response. He was waiting to see how they would respond to the lavish grace of Jesus that is revealed here. He is inviting them along. Just as the father invited the older brother to turn to him and rejoice alongside him to repent of his sin. Jesus is asking the Pharisees to repent of their sin. And right now, this is our call right now. Younger brothers and older brothers alike inside this room... The call is to all of us, repent and to rejoice alongside him. Repent and to rejoice alongside him. 
Now, we mean to ask, answer this question, what is true repentance? Now, the word repent means this. So, let's say I was walking towards a canyon. I would repent and turn away from it. That means to, make a, to turn away from. I heard a pastor accidentally say one time, make a 360 from it. All right, just keep walking. It wouldn't really work. Don't name your church 360 church. It needs to be 180 church. Now, repentance means to turn away from. So is simply confessing all your sins and all your wrongdoings enough for true repentance? No. It is not. Because you can confess all the sin that you want to in the world and still be lost. You can confess all the sin that you want to in this world and still be lost. What true repentance requires is something so much deeper than that. It requires some heart searching. It requires going into the deepest, darkest parts of ourselves. The parts that nobody else knows. The parts that we don't want anybody else to see. And getting to the root of the sin. And this is it. I tell our students this all the time. This is the root sin. It's idolatry. And what do we love to worship? We love to worship us some me. We love to worship ourselves. I tell our students all the time. The ultimate sin that you commit, every time you choose sin over God, you are telling God the Father, I'm a better God than you are. Now, you would never say that out loud, but your choices say it. Your choices say it. This older brother says, I am a better father than you are. I would never let that son on my property. But that's not how our father works. And this older brother was worshiping himself. He was committing the ultimate sin of idolatry. And when we realize that, when we understand the depth and the weight of our sin, we're close to getting to the gospel. But then we need to understand that the antidote to our badness is not our goodness. The antidote to our sinfulness is not just being good and doing the right thing. It's something more than that. When you understand that, you're just on the brink of understanding the gospel. You're starting to understand, there's something wrong with me. To understand the full gospel, you've got to realize this. You can't do this on your own. The Pharisees couldn't do it on their own. The younger brother couldn't do it on their own. The father's prodigal grace is the only thing that drew them both. And they both responded differently. It's only by relying on the grace of Jesus alone that we can do this because we need a true elder brother. Which leads me to my last point. The true older brother. Now Edmund Clowney who's a Presbyterian pastor in the 20th century. Great theologian. Loved the man. He told this story that is a true story that happened in Vietnam. Now some of you in this room fought in Vietnam. And we are very thankful for your service. Now there was a family that lost their youngest son. And the family called the government, and they said, he's just missing. We don't know where he is. We don't know if he's dead. We don't know if he's alive. He's just missing. And that's the only news they got for months. His older brother sold everything he had and went to the jungles of Vietnam to find his brother. He walked through the war, through the carnage, seeking his lost little brother. Now, news of this spread all over both sides of this war. And he never got hurt miraculously. Never got wounded, never got hurt. Because they knew that he was on a mission. And his name simply became the brother. 
That's all I'm being again. The brother. We have a brother who came to seek and save the lost. His name is Jesus. We have an older brother who came to not leave us in our helplessness, but to save us. His name is Jesus. There's three sons actually in this parable. There's the two lost sons, and then there's the son of God who is telling this. And he's telling the Pharisees, I am the older brother. I'm the shepherd that God sent because you weren't doing your job. I am the great shepherd. I am the one who does all the saving. I seek and save the lost. This older brother is the one who who helps the other older brother to realize that he didn't do his job. He didn't go out and seek after his little brother when he went and squandered all the property. Instead, he hated it when his brother came home. He reacted out of anger. Jesus reacts out of love and grace and came down from heaven to seek and save us. He doesn't react out of anger. He reacts out of humility and grace and love so that he could find his lost brothers and sisters. That was his mission, to seek and to save the lost. We also need to see the cost of forgiveness in this story. How does the father forgive the younger brother? At the expense of his older brother. At the expense of big brother. Big brother was upset that this happened. Big brother hated the fact that he had to be expended like that. But Jesus, the true older brother, the one who is inviting the Pharisee in the center, the one who is inviting you, To turn away from your sin, to believe in Him, paid the cost of sin on the cross. Now you may be wondering, why did He have to die? Because you deserved that death. You deserved that death. But He took that death upon Himself, so that at the Son's expense, at the perfect Lamb of God's expense, the Father could forgive us. So while the older brother responded out of anger, our older brother, Jesus, responds out of love and grace, submitting his life on the cross so that the Father could forgive us. Listen to what the words of Philippians 2 say. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Rely upon his grace, not anything you can do alone. That is the only way to true salvation. That is the only way to understand the gospel fully. That is the only way to find hope in Jesus is when you rely upon him alone. When you rely upon yourself, you're just like the older brother. But let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, when you turn to the one and you're in awe of the one who gave it all and his name is Jesus on the cross, that is where salvation happens. And that's where you stop with the older brother mindset of this us versus them mentality. And you start to mimic the true older brother, Jesus, with this us for them mentality. You start going 
for the sinners. Tim Keller says this, We will never stop being younger and older brothers until we realize our need, rest by faith, and gaze in wonder at the work of our true older brother, Jesus Christ. So today, if you're a younger brother in this room, you've been running from the Father, you like His things, the things that you have, that you've been blessed with, you're squandering them, turn to Jesus. Turn to the one who seeks and saves the lost. Turn to the ones who gave His life for you. And to the older brothers in this room, turn to Jesus. Turn to the one who was obedient for you when you were disobedient. Turn to the one who was perfectly good, not just your sinful good. Turn to the one who can save your soul. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the marvelous grace of Jesus that is shown to us on the cross. That Father, that for the younger brother, the one who's running as hard as he can, as hard as she can, that God, there's grace for them that will draw them back to yourself. Lead them to turn to you. Father, for the older brothers in this room, myself included, help us to see that it's never been about our own moral goodness. It's been about your goodness all along. Nothing that we could do could earn your salvation. It's only by your grace alone that we can be saved. During this time of response, I pray that your spirit will move. Save the sinner. Lead us to repent, even of our goodness. And help us to see and taste that you are good. I pray this on Jesus' name. Amen.